Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast. This is your episode for Wednesday, December 6th, and this is your host, Matt Shook. And the Pistons are 14-8 and going into tonight's game in Milwaukee against the Bucks at the Bradley Center. The teams have split the first two meetings of the season and will have three-fourths of their matchups done before mid-December. So these teams are very familiar with each other. On today's episodes, we're going to be breaking down that matchup with the Bucks and update how things are going with them since their last meeting a couple weeks ago. And we're also going to talk to former Locked On Pistons host, Duncan Smith, who writes for The Athletic Detroit about the Pistons and also for B-Ball Breakdown. He joined me late Tuesday night in a wide-ranging interview that talked about all things Pistons, and that will be a two-parter, so we're going to have part two of that continuing in Thursday's podcast. I think you're going to enjoy some of his thoughts, and hopefully um, we'll have him back on again soon as well. And we got Draft.com. It is Wednesday, so you know what that means. It is Draft Wednesday, so fantasy sports fans, listen up. Did you know that your chances of winning on Draft are 80% better than on salary cap sites. That's why Draft is my favorite fantasy site. No more getting crushed by the pros. And it's not just me. More than 1 million people have already downloaded Draft 2. Play in a real live NBA draft right now. Be done in under 5 minutes and get paid out the next day. Drafts are filling up every second, so you can join one whenever you want. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use my promo code LOPISTONS. That's right. Play in a real money draft for free just by using my promo code LOPISTONS. But it gets even better. Draft is so sure that you'll love it that they're even offering Locked On Pistons listeners a money back guarantee of up to $100. Just search Draft in your app store or go to Draft.com and come play free right now with promo code LOPISTONS. And we're going to have our private Locked On Pistons draft, so find me at Matt Shook as my tag under the website there, and we'll invite you into the Wednesday draft where we've got uh, Pistons Bucks, so you can draft Pistons, you can draft Bucks, and play against all Pistons fans. It's been a lot of fun, and I'm looking forward to seeing you on the site. Support the podcast. You're listening to it every day, so join us and support the podcast so we can get our beaks wet. A little bit. But as mentioned, Milwaukee Bucks, they're 12 and 10 now. So the Pistons lead the Bucks by just one and a half games, holding them off. The Pistons still in second place in the Eastern Conference's Central Division behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. It's an 8 o'clock start Eastern tonight from the Bradley Center in downtown Milwaukee. Vegas sees the Bucks as 3.5 point favorites, so pretty much the same spread as Monday night that the Pistons had in San Antonio, although I think that that one crept to about four by game time. The Bucks had a three-game winning streak snapped on Monday night against the Celtics. They lost in Boston, 111-100. to Giannis Antetokounmpo, he's still the guy. He's probably slipped a little bit below James Harden and LeBron James and Kyrie Irving in the early MVP chatter, but he had 40 points in a losing effort on Monday against Boston. Uh, not to say that he's done anything to ruin his MVP candidacy, but he's not maybe having the, the terror of a first couple weeks that he had um, to start the season. Looks like Matthew Delvadova, who's kind of their backup backup point guard now that they acquired Eric Bledsoe from the Phoenix Suns. He's going to be out. Jason Terry, according to the ESPN app, he might be out as well, although he did play on Monday night against Boston. Um, I don't know. It, it kind, of, kind of brings to mind Jason Terry being on the injured list of the, the old Ken Griffey Jr. when he was his career was winding down. Maybe it was with the White Sox at that point that he was on the injured list for general soreness. 
So when you get things like general soreness that keep you out of games, you either have Greg Popovich as your coach who's just kind of fucking with the league, or maybe you're a little bit too old and it's time to think about hanging it up. But I love Jason Terry's career as he continues to grind it out for the Bucks as kind of a half-player, half-assistant coach at this point. But Bledsoe has been scoring quite a bit as of late. He's averaging 21.8 points per game over the past six for the Bucks, so scoring even a little bit more than advertised. The problem with Milwaukee right now is inside. They're having problems in the middle. John Henson, their starting center, he's a bit of a mystery in night in and night out for Milwaukee. Monday against Boston, he had zero points in 21 minutes, and they just kind of sat him down after a while and went with small lineups. They've got Thon McCurr out there uh, kind of playing in center position sometimes and asking Giannis to defend bigger players as well, which is okay against a team like Boston, but I would suspect that John Henson will get back to some of his big minutes with Andre Drummond coming to town tonight. We might even see Michigan's DJ Wilson again like we did in the last uh, matchup between these two teams at the Bradley Center. I would suspect that the Michigan rookie, although we got a DNP on Monday, will be back getting some minutes for Jason Kidd and the Bucks on Wednesday night. But they've been going pretty small without Henson in there, and that could mean that Andre might be in for a big night. Jason Kidd, um, he got teed up against Boston, so that subplot of him kind of trying to fit square pegs into round holes and, and maybe the fan base getting on the coach a little bit with some high expectations for the team that uh, that Giannis brings with him. So he got teed up against Boston, which ignited a big Celtics run. Um, and then you had Giannis last week going up against going after the assistant coach in a timeout huddle last week. So that's the kind of thing, if you're a Pistons fan, you should be rooting for that kind of thing. Chaos in Milwaukee to maybe break up the Bucks a little bit. But like I said, Andre Drummond, all eyes will be on him tonight. you got a, a soft middle for the Milwaukee Bucks. This is where Drummond has to step up and answer the call. If he's a slam dunk all-star like many of us Pistons followers and fans believe that he is, it's these types of games that they need him, especially with a three-game losing streak and Golden State and Boston coming to town this weekend with revenge on their minds. Golden State on Friday night at Little Caesars Arena, Boston on Sunday afternoon. So if they want to avoid this three-game losing streak from going to six very fast, they're going to want Andre Drummond to step up big tonight and lead the Pistons to a road win against a Central Division rival. But we've got Duncan Smith, the interview, part one, coming up with him. After a little bit, Reggie Jackson, we talk about uh, Reggie and his relationship with the fans and what, what the fan base thinks of him. Duncan's got his finger on the pulse of Pistons Twitter and some of the diehards as well. We also get into the puzzling Avery Bradley advanced defensive numbers as Continued on throughout his career at Boston and now with Detroit. Some puzzling statistics. If you watch Avery Bradley play defense, you know he's good, but some of the numbers are suggesting otherwise. And we'll talk about why that might be and some other things to consider with Avery Bradley and, and his future with the Pistons as well. But if your company is interested in men between the ages of 18 and 44, then your company should be sponsoring this podcast. Locked on Pistons is listened to by 98% men and 80% between the ages of 18 to 44. So if you want that key demographic, men 18 to 44, this is your spot. Plus our rates are reasonable. So email me at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, to find out more. Yes, sir! And as promised, we are now joined by Duncan Smith, writer for The Athletic and also for B-Ball Breakdown, the former host of Locked on Pistons, this podcast that you are listening to right now. Duncan, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Matt. It's it's nice to be back on uh, Lockdown Pistons. Absolutely. And as we talk and late on Tuesday night, as the Pistons get ready for Wednesday night, 
in Milwaukee. The losing streak is at three games right now and possibly could see six by the end of the week if you look at the tough slate ahead of at least three games, possibly even four when you look at Denver coming in next week as well. Is this a little bit of something for fans to freak out about, a little bit of adversity for the the great start that the Pistons have had? and Or is it just schedule that the these are a lot of losable games that they've lost a handful of them, uh, these last three in particular? Or is it kind of something in between that? Is this something for fans to really be worried about right now? Um, I, I think it's maybe a little bit of both. Uh, uh, speaking for myself and probably also some segment of the fan base, um, I kind of have a pessimistic lean. So, I, you know, when when Reggie falls hard on his left knee, I I – I freak out a little bit, you know. So um, any anything that appears to be like a uh, a losing streak or uh, an extended stretch of um, just straight up struggling out of character for what we've seen from the from the, from the Pistons so far, uh, it's cause for concern. But you know the fact that it's coming when they're playing um, on the road against teams like uh, the Sixers and uh, the Spurs, who you know they played the night before, but they rested just about everybody who mattered. Um, and, you know, of course, the Wizards, that loss looks pretty bad after what the Utah Jazz did to them last night. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it was going to be a stretch of games that, um, like, wins were going to be hard to come by. Um, I think maybe, like, the most the most realistic kind of optimistic view would be, like, getting two wins out of the bunch, like, taking um, – I, I think you'd probably hope to get – like one of the two games against um, the Sixers and Wizards to start the trip and then like grab the game against, uh, against the Celtics say. Um, But, you know, even there, like that's, that's still pretty tough. You're talking about beating uh, the the best team in the NBA from a records perspective um, twice in, uh, in just a couple weeks. And And now they're motivated uh, to, uh, to go beat you and Kyrie wants to have a nice game after what happened in Boston. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's tough to beat any team uh, twice in a a small segment of time, let alone a good team, let alone that team um, motivated. So yeah, you know, it, it's not pretty. It's, uh, (laughs) um, it's certainly problematic, but they're not, they're not getting um, with the exception of, uh, of that third quarter, I think against the wizards, um, they're not getting dramatically outplayed really. Uh, you know, they had a pretty good, pretty firm handle on that game against the Spurs uh, uh, Tuesday night, uh, Monday night, pardon me. Um, but, you know, you're you're also playing the Spurs in their building. And uh, I think we saw some of what makes those Spurs teams so great last night with the way they really buckled down late and, and just took that game away. Um, so you know, you're going to have bad stretches when you play really good teams in their buildings. Um, so it, it's it's cause for concern, but it's not cause to overreact, I would say. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think that if you would have maybe uh, smushed together the end of December schedule and the late November, early December schedule into one big schedule and maybe interlocked some of those games, they're they're probably sitting a little bit over 500 in that stretch, and, and you're not dealing with this, what could be, like I said, a six-game losing streak maybe by Sunday. Not to say that it certainly will be, and they could definitely go 2-1 and one, even over the next three games. There's, there's no saying that that is not 
a possibility, but I think I just think it's you looked at that schedule, you knew it was coming. You knew that some kind of um, possible of, of uh, some losses clumped together could be coming. And like you said, there's not a lot of bad signs on the court. They're not getting blown out of games. I think that Washington game on Friday night is one you want to forget. And over 82, that's going to happen certainly. So I, I, again, I'm I'm with you. I I don't think there's much reason to be concerned. And if they if this turns into a six game losing streak with a couple more competitive games in those next few days. I don't. I still don't think there's much reason to be concerned unless there's something else that happens along the way. But Duncan, you've been following the Pistons for a long time, like I have. But unlike me, you've been writing about the Pistons and talking about the Pistons. You were the editor and site expert on Piston Powered up until very recently. So you're firmly entrenched with the fan base and and Pistons Twitter and NBA Twitter. Whereas I'm kind of jumping in after I've been covering a whole so all sorts of other things over the past few years. Um, Reggie Jackson, uh, kind of the a little bit of a polarizing figure for fans, was so good two years ago, then was so bad last year while dealing with the knee tendonitis, and even when he came back from injury, wasn't himself. He's playing really well as of these last couple of weeks, and very well as of this whole year, pretty much, with uh, you know a couple exceptions of games here and there. Do you think that? And it, it, seeing what ha- what's happened with Andre Drummond this year and, and the way he stepped up his game, it seems like the fans are back to embracing Andre and back to uh, you know loving him as the, the star of this team right now. Do you think the fan base is ever going to really get there with Reggie? It seems like when you're on Twitter, you're kind of talking down certain fans that don't like this shot laid or, or maybe um, a little bit of selfish play at times. Maybe selfish is the wrong word, but just kind of some one-on-one play, which which most of it is – Fans don't understand sometimes that you need to do that sometimes. You need to create your own shot sometimes, especially when it's end of shot clock, end of game, fourth quarter type of situations. What do you think about, I know that this is a rambling question, but the the fan base stance with Reggie Jackson right now, are we ever, are they ever going to get there or is this going to always be kind of a, a polarizing guy? Um, I think he's going to be a polarizing guy, but I think that the fan base is getting there. Um, I, I think there's a ways to go. Uh, because like as good a game as uh, as say Reggie had um, against the Spurs, and he had a very good game, um, you're still gonna hear people complaining about um, say a, a long three that he had late in the fourth or something like that. Um, and like that's the shot that you want Reggie Jackson taking um, late in games. He's a very good shooter. Uh, he actually makes I think better decisions when it comes to uh, late game situations than people give him credit for. And um, he's been playing really well this season, and he's been playing basically out of his mind for about three weeks. Uh, he's shooting just shy of 60% from the floor over his last nine games. He's shooting like 46% from three over his last nine games. Um, he's averaging just shy of 20 points, and he's taking like 12 shots a game. Like, <laughs> um, he's he's definitely uh, not the, the selfish ball hog that I think a lot of people – um, kind of just ascribed to him. And, you know, he, he has low assist numbers, but then again, like a lot of the offense doesn't run through him and the ball moves like multiple times. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of in an age where a point guard with high assist totals um, is not necessarily indicative of a, uh, of a you know, a good uh, quarterback or uh, facilitator. You know, look at, look at Russell Westbrook, who has very high assist totals, um, but nobody would necessarily say he's uh, the perfect quarterback for, for an offense, you know? Um, so I think Reggie is 
very polarizing. I think there's still a portion of the fan base that doesn't know Reggie was hurt last year. Um, and, you know, if, you, if you're not aware that Reggie Jackson was hurt last year, um, you're not going to understand why he was probably, as I pretty much always say when I talk about Reggie's season last year, he was probably the worst player in the NBA, the worst high-volume player in the NBA. And, um, you know, if you're not informed as, you know, not everybody has a responsibility to know everything about the Pistons, and I certainly understand that. Um, but, you know, if you're not informed about that fact, um, it might take a person a little while to get used to the idea that Reggie Jackson used to shoot the ball 20 times a game sometimes. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the fan base as a whole is um, is kind of warming to Reggie. I think that um, there is still some lack of understanding, I think, among the uh, the larger fan base about the fact that, like you mentioned, like you do need a guy who can take games over um, from a possession standpoint and kind of dominate the ball, um, particularly in some lineups. Um, you know, if, if you've only got like two scorers on the floor, for example, sometimes Reggie just needs to have the ball in his hands. Um, Late in games, if you're you're leading or trailing by small margins, it's important to control the clock, and you can't do that with motion offense. You control the clock through one guy dominating the ball, running the pick and roll, and and setting up your offense at a time if you're choosing, rather than just like um, you know random and somewhat um, spastic off-ball cuts. It, it's just the way the game works late in um, late in games. You know you want the ball moving less. So you get fewer turnovers. You want to get fouls or shots up every time, no matter what. And, um, you know, Reggie Jackson is – it looks a lot better when you've got LeBron James running running the clock down late in games. Um, we should get that guy. Reggie Jackson is – yeah, let's get that guy. Um, <laughs> it's too bad that Stan didn't keep uh, Michael Benajay around because he was talking about Benajay and a second rounder for LeBron at the, at the Yeah, year, I mean, I they might have to make it yeah. a first rounder, but I mean, I, I think they might have to make it a first rounder. He's kind of old, but I think they'd be willing to do that. Um, but, yeah. you know, you'd prefer to have a guy like LeBron, but Reggie Jackson is that guy for the Pistons. You need that guy. Yeah, and I, it, I'm glad you mentioned the lineups because, like you said, maybe he's out there late third quarter, early fourth quarter with some of the subs out there, a lot of guys that aren't creating their shots. And we all love the way that Tobias Harris is playing offensively right now, but he's not going to be, you know, breaking someone down at the end of the shot clock like Reggie Jackson does. It's just different guys have different roles. And I think that um, in a lot of ways, a guy like Reggie Jackson is the Pistons version of a garbage man at some times, because sometimes the shot clock goes late and Ish Smith has to deal with this a lot of times when he's on the court too. He's just got to throw something up at the end of the shot clock or, or just try to make something happen. Or like you said, possibly get to the foul line as well. So a lot of times he kind of shoulders the blame because he was the last guy holding the ball on a bad possession or something like that. So it, it's nice that you mentioned that. Transitioning to his starting backcourt mate, Avery Bradley, um, Pistons fans have, have to be pleased with how that acquisition has been so far. He's had a uh, abysmal offensive performance the last couple of games, but that notwithstanding, um, the deep that's popped up again is that uh, folks around the NBA are, are talking about how weird it is that Avery Bradley's defensive numbers, if you took a look at the analytics right now, are not very good uh, compared to when he's not on the court for the Pistons. So strangely, a guy who Everyone around the league, everyone who watches the games uh, believes and, and agrees that he's just a very good off a defensive player at the, at the very least. And um, the numbers just don't seem to back that up. And now, obviously, a lot of that has to do with some of the shortcomings with defensive analytics. It's something that continues to evolve as the um, the whole genre does with basketball coverage in general. But 
do you think that there's something else there? Um, there's a lot of the five man lineups that struggle when he's out there defensively. And then like, like I said, just a lot of the defensive numbers in general, why is that? And are you seeing some other things? And I know that you've looked into this a little bit so far. What are you seeing from there that, that can explain some of this uh, for some of us out there? Um, well, I know one thing that really kind of jumps off the page when it comes to Bradley's numbers is um, his on-off splits. So I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but the Pistons defend something like 10 points per 100 better when uh, when Avery's off the floor, so when he's on the bench. Um, you know, you wouldn't really think that uh, a defense with you know guys like Ish Smith and Langston Galloway, uh, Luke Kennard would would put forth like a, a better defensive performance. Um, than a, a lineup that has Avery Bradley. Um, but it turns out from from some uh, sort of like cursory investigation that I've done the last couple of days, um, when the starting lineup and uh, Avery Bradley in particular are on the floor, def- uh, uh, opponents are hitting something along the lines of uh, 43% from three-point range against them. Um, but they're not taking like more shots than when the bench is on. They're not taking like um, they're not taking like a high number of shots relative to the field. Like they're taking roughly like an, a, a league average number of three point attempts against the starting lineup. Um, and really that's technically that's what you can control. Like once the shot goes up, um, you know, usually it's because it's open enough to get that shot off in the first place. So when the shot goes up as a defense, you've already lost technically. Um, and the shots are just going in at a very high rate when those starters are on the floor. It's something that was happening last year as well. Um, like when Reggie Jackson and KCP were on the floor together, I think post all-star break, uh, they were opponents were hitting like 48 and a half percent from three against them. Like just a ridiculous rate, you know, like virtually impossible rate. Um, and then on the flip side of that, when, um, when, when Ish Smith is on the floor, the opposition is hitting 32% from three. When Langston Galloway is on the floor, the opponent is hitting 29% from three. Um, so a lot of this is due to the fact that like better shooters are on the floor when Avery is on the floor, worse shooters are on the floor when, when the bench units are on the floor. But there's also, uh, there's definitely a component of luck when, we, when we're looking at three-point numbers. Um, so I think that's something of a factor that is kind of, um, hurting his, his defensive numbers. I think there's also a, a factor in that, like there's a limit to how good of a defender you can be when you're you're six two and you're defending um, like the the best guards in the NBA as he does pretty much every single. Or who are mostly six um, four six five six six players really right now these days. Yeah, yeah. He's he's almost always at a height disadvantage. So like you know he can make life really miserable when he's on ball. Um, and it can be like just about impossible to like dribble by, dribble by him. Uh, but you know, those six, five, six, six guys that he's guarding can get their shot just about any time. Um, you know, they can rise up over him pretty much at will and th- there's not a whole lot that he can do. Um, so, you know, I, I think that his reputation as a, a tough and dogged defender is, is well earned, uh, you know, NBA players aren't wrong when they say he's like the toughest defender out there. Uh, but there is a limitation to like what he can do. And I think that that's kind of what we see uh, when we're looking at his defensive numbers. 
And I wonder if sometimes maybe some of those guys he's defending get, and, and I know the, the numbers must address this, but you talked a little bit about field goal percentage. Well, maybe they're not going to shoot a certain amount as many times as they normally would. We talked off air about like a Jimmy Butler, for instance, like maybe he's not shooting as much um, when he's got Bradley up against him, or maybe Bradley's doing something like he, he he's getting a couple of steals a game. Maybe he's preventing the shot even from going back up as well. And maybe sometimes I also think that, he's going up against a lot of these starters early in the game and then the starters late in the game. Um, we saw this, and, and I can't point to a specific example right now, but we saw this with Porzingis, Duran, and he's not defending those guys, but how, you know, sometimes a Stanley Johnson will, will wear out those guys a little bit defensively early on in the game, and Anthony Tolliver goes up against them third quarter, and yeah, the defensive numbers looked a lot better for Anthony Tolliver late in the game, but you got to give some credit to some of the guys that made him work a little bit in the first half of the game, for instance, too. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a war of attrition. Like, it's a long 48 minutes. And, um, like, the guys who are are battering down um, your opponent defensively uh, early in games certainly deserve some of the credit for what happens late when, you know, a a guy like, like you said, KD or, or like Jimmy Butler, like the example we were using earlier, um, when they just don't have, like, a full tank of gas at the end of the game anymore. Like, you can give some of those, like, early defensive minutes um, you can give credit for some of those early defensive minutes um, to those guys who are making them work early in games for sure that is the great Duncan Smith and I want to thank Duncan again for joining us that was part one of our interview we went long so we're going to shift it over to Thursday's podcast for the rest of it but follow him on Twitter at Duncan Smith NBA during games those Pistons Twitter guys go all out so get that second screen going if you want to follow the boys as the Pistons continue on through the season. The rest of our interview, we talk a little bit about Stanley Johnson, his future with the team, where he kind of fits in, some trade market strategies that the Pistons might have come February, some possible holes in the lineup that they might want to fill, and some trends that he's noticed from the Pistons' offense that have stood out to him on a closer look. So we'll have the part two of the interview with Duncan and a full report on Wednesday's game against the Milwaukee Bucks coming up on Thursday's episode. But again, it's Draft Wednesday, so meet us up on the app there. Use promo code LOPistons. Follow me on the app at Matt Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, and get familiar with us as Draft Wednesday has been a lot of fun and we'd like to have you join us. And if you want to support the podcast, that would be the way to do it right now. So thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks again to Duncan. And I look forward to sharing the rest of our interview with you all tomorrow and enjoy the game against the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. We'll talk to you later, everyone.